God, I pray that you'll take this very precious time that we have to look in your word together and that you'd use it for your glory. God, do what you want to do in us this morning and help us to be open to hearing you as we listen to your word. Amen. So, uh, if you've uh, missed a few Sundays, we are in the book of Ezra. And Ezra is a little bit complicated. It's not particularly preached on a lot. Um, it's a history book in the Bible, and it relates to a lot of other different books in the Bible in different ways. And so you may want to pick up some study notes if you haven't got them already, or listen back online to some of the sermons to get an idea of the book of Ezra. But it's a beautiful book and it's worth it because as you mine it, there are deep treasures to be found in it. And it's actually deeply exciting to see the patterns and things God's people experience because it speaks to us today. And today we're looking at the theme of opposition and dealing with opposition. And I was thinking about this theme of opposition and I was thinking about our weekend. And I thought just our weekend alone, I have witnessed a lot of opposition going on. Perhaps it started on Friday night and watching the kids play football in teams that oppose one another. Um, after that, we in our house have something called Friday night film night, which is meant to, in theory, be a time when the family comes together, relaxes together and watches a film together. But before we get to that joyous, relaxing moment, quite a lot of um, a fighting and opposing goes on. To start with, we have three children, so there's three different film options that need to be chosen from. Then there's the argument about who chose last time and whose turn it is to choose this time, and has mummy really remembered this rotor correctly? Um, and then when we've gone through all of that, there's more opposing that goes on because now who gets the prime position on the sofa? And then we have a big argument about where we're all going to sit in the lounge. Um, we watched the dog chase a fox round the garden as they opposed each other for the territory of the land. And uh, poor Richard is severely bruised and scratched as he kind of tried to separate fox and dog. And, and that was just, you know, the first 24 hours of the weekend. You know, we're surrounded, aren't we, by lots of different kinds of opposition and different ways, different formats, either personally or that we get to observe just by walking through the city of London. Don't take long, does it, before someone's beeping at someone else? Someone, you know, opposition. But very specifically today, we're looking at a certain type of opposition. We're looking at people who oppose you simply because you're following God. And we're going to have a little look at that together and a little look at how God's people handle being opposed because they're following God's ways. And I find this passage that we have actually deeply challenging, but also deeply um, refreshing and exciting because it's real. I love the book of Ezra that you get these profound statements of God's incredible sovereignty and God's incredible provision for his people and miracles that take place. But alongside that, you get this realism of, do you know what? It sucked. We were opposed for 20 years. We had to stop building the temple of God. 
because these people opposed us. And so this book has this incredible richness to it as we get to see miracles, God stepping in, and also the reality of seasons and times when it's really tough. And I find that comforting. Why do I find it comforting? Because I experience it in my own life. There's seasons of triumph and joy and other seasons which just feel like you're just walking through sticky mud. As it's real life until Jesus comes again or we get to meet him in glory. So what's going on? We see at the end of chapter pit four that God's people have been meddling um, be meddled with and their work stops on the temple for 20 years so so what's kind of going on at the start of chapter 4 we hear that it's their enemies who've stopped the work so the clues kind of there they are the enemies of God's people and these enemies come to Zerubbabel and the heads of the families and they say to them let us help you with your building of your temple and its foundation but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the other leaders say no and so these people go out of their way to discourage and work against God's people well, at first reading, if you've got any kind of EQ, you might be thinking, well, no wonder these people are peed off with God's people. They've offered to help them, and they've turned around and they've gone, no. Um, and you know what? There have been times in history when God's people, and we as God's people, have messed it up. We've not got it right with people outside of the church, those that don't yet know God. We've just not got it right. And we said no when we probably should have said, yes, come and help us, come and join in. But in this particular chapter, that's actually not what's going on. And so we need to kind of dig a little bit deeper. On this occasion, they're clearly at the outset described as enemies. And that for us is a bit of a clue. God's people had relationship already with these people they knew them and knew what they were like and we actually need to flick back to 2 kings chapter 17 if you want to do that feel free um, and sort of verse sort of 24 onwards in 2 kings chapter 17 because it gives us a little bit of the background of the people of God's relationship with these outsiders and I'll just kind of briefly share it. So if you're not flicked, you can sort of listen. But the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon to settle in the towns of Samaria, replacing the Israelites. Now, these people didn't worship the Lord. And so this incredible thing happens in Scripture. Do you know what God did? He sent lions amongst them, which is oh, horrific. Um, but God sent lions amongst them because actually what's more horrific is not worshipping God and getting yourself in a complete mess. And, and, and back then it was a harsh uh, sort of setup that was going on in society. And so these lions were sent amongst killing some of those people that weren't worshipping God who'd been put in that place of God's land. And so in response to this, king of Assyria got one of the priests, one of God's priests that he had captured, to go and teach the people what the God of the land required of them. And so one of God's people had already been to these people and said to them, look, this is God's land. You want to survive and thrive here, you're going to have to worship him and follow his ways. That's the way it's got to be but they didn't really take much notice of him. 
And so what they did was they kind of went, all right, and they kind of worshipped Yahweh, the true God, a little bit, but they also carried on worshipping their own gods. And so then we get in King, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 33 and 37, it says this. These people, they worshipped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord properly, nor adhere to the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands that the Lord gave to the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. And God had made a covenant that that was to be his land, that he was to be honored there and worshiped properly. And so God's people knew this people group that are opposing them right now, they'd been told about God. They'd been told how to worship him and they had deliberately chosen not to. If they invited them in at this stage, at the rebuilding of the very foundation and heart of their city, the very foundation of the temple, then it would be so easy for them to be corrupted and drawn away from worshiping the true God. And so they had to say no to them. But of course, in saying that no, and we sometimes have to say it in life, it doesn't make it easy, does it? And so now there's a tension going on with these people around them, and that's tricky. Sometimes we have to live with that kind of tension and it's awkward, but let's make sure when we do that we know we're doing it with a pure heart before God. So they were doing it with a pure heart before God. They knew they needed to keep their purity and their worship and their focus. And so they said no to these people. So if you look at chapter 4, verse 4 onwards, they they do this kind of incredible kind of... um, amazing kind of assault on God's people. The first thing they do is to discourage them. Discouragement just brings you down, doesn't it? When you get discouragement, they discourage God's people. Then they make them afraid, it says. Um, The word afraid could be translated terror, like the type of terror that you face in the midst of a battle. That's the kind of fear they sought to bring into God's people. Then um, they go on and they actually hire, verse 5, they hire people to work against them. They bribe people to work against God's people. They are facing a strong and steady attack. They then write to the king and they say to the king, um, these people, if you let them build the temple, they are a rebellious, naughty people group. Don't let them do it. They are awful. They slander them. And thus, in verse 24 of that chapter, we find that the work on God's house comes to a stop. I think just the very first thing we need to pick up as we look at this story is that opposition is something to be expected. You know, if we set ourselves to be people who want to see the kingdom of God grow, then we need to be not surprised when oppositions come our way, both spiritually and physically. By building God's kingdom, I mean seeing God's rule and reign, firstly in our own lives increasingly, and also in the society around us, And if we set ourselves to seek that, 
then we will face opposition. Primarily, we'll face spiritual opposition. Satan doesn't want us to get closer to God. He doesn't want us to radiate Christ's light to the rest of the world. He doesn't want us to be filled with the love of God and to be sharing that with others. He doesn't want that. And then there'll be those around who don't understand um, fully the Christian message. Their hearts and minds are blinded to it and they don't want to see it succeed. They'll see it as a cult or a a repressive force in our society or or something like that. And, And there'll be negativity. If we seek to stand up to be gods, we mustn't be surprised when opposition comes our way. We go on a um, camping trip with some of um, our son's friends from school and it's really, really good fun. And uh, some of the people in the room here go with us and it's a great laugh and we have great fun, don't we? We love the camping and the marshmallow toasting. It's brilliant. And um, when the kids finally go to sleep, um, Sophie, don't tell anyone. When you finally go to sleep, um, all the adults hang around and we talk till quite late in the night and we have a nice glass of wine together and we have a great laugh. And and there was one year when someone decided to be really open about their search for the meaning of life and they just started talking about like big ideas and it was a great kind of conversation going on but a guy just turned next to me and he meant it as a joke but there was a tone underneath go on then Nicola convert her and it was kind of funny and I had a laugh with him about it and a little chat about it. I was like, oh, I wish I could convert her, you know, if I could, you'd all be in church. Like, I'm trying, but, you know, it's not actually, it, we need kind of God to do a miracle here. So we'll, we'll pray for that, shall we, together? No, no, okay. Um, <laughs> so we had a laugh. But underneath it was a sort of slight derogatory tone. Oh, that faith you believe in, it's a bit silly. It just kind of props you up a bit, doesn't it? It's a bit nice, but it's a bit pathetic and I don't believe. And it was just an interesting moment because I'm not being, um, we're not being physically persecuted for our faith here in the UK, but we are being um, assaulted in another way that's very, very subtle often. There is opposition to the Christian faith around us. And if you're gonna stand up and say, I'm a Christian, I'm seeking the growth of God's kingdom in my workplace, you will at times experience opposition and we're not to be surprised for it by it but how do we carry on when we do and how do we keep on loving those that are our enemies how do we love our enemies and how do we keep carrying on and that we're just going to turn to look at very quickly so an interesting thing happens in these um, three ch- chapters four five and six um, some really interesting things happen when we reach chapter five absolutely nothing has changed God's people are still being assaulted by their enemies nothing has changed and yet everything changes because they start rebuilding the temple. They've stopped for 20 years and suddenly they start. But nothing has changed in terms of the opposition they face when they restart that building. So what happens and what makes them start rebuilding? Well, do you know what happens? The prophets turn up. Haggai and Zechariah come to God's people And basically they say to them, don't you remember, God's told you to build this. Don't you remember, God's ultimately in charge. Don't you remember that even if the worst thing you can imagine happens to you, 
God's still in charge and he's got you and he's got eternity there for you. And they start prophesying the words of God over God's people. And as they do that, courage wells up in them. And I sometimes get upset with myself and where we're at in our church because I sometimes think, I wonder when we're going to realize how much we need to dwell in God's word. How we need to hear God's word through the written texts that we have and through those that he's gifted as prophets amongst us. Because it's that that breathes true courage to keep following him day in, day out and through all the different seasons that life will bring. And yet somehow... there's a spiritual kind of thing that goes on that we, we don't even pick it up that often. I don't know it as well as I should. Only actually takes a few minutes every day to read the Bible. I flick through Facebook for a few minutes. I do other things for a few minutes. Why don't I read my Bible for a few minutes? What's with that? Why won't I take the effort to learn how to do it just a little bit or find somewhere to slot it in? Because I do find time for a shed load of other things. And I just want to kind of leave that as the main challenge today to talk about in our small groups and with each other. Like, how how do we dwell with God's word so that it's the thing that gives us courage and life and, and kind of breathes into us so that like when we're out there in the middle of workplace or we're sat around the fire at the campsite we we can let just the stuff of this world wash over us and we can bring the light of Christ and the love of God into the situations we find ourselves but we can only do that when we're strengthened and refreshed and dwelling in God's word when we know it and we're living it and we're allowing it to teach us and form us And you see what happens is they start working again on the temple because they've got courage. So their enemies come and the enemies are like, no, I don't think you should be doing this. And they kind of ignore them and they keep going. And they end up, God's people, writing to the king who's at the time. And they say to this king, do you know what? There was a king a long time ago who said we could do this that we could come back to this land. And, and if you search your archives, you'll find it. He's decreed it. And amazingly, this king goes and searches the archives and he finds the declaration that we have in Ezra chapter one that King Cyrus had written out. And he finds that and he says, oh yeah, we said you could go back to your land and build the temple. Sure, carry on. And do you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna give you shed loads more money to carry on with it. Off you go. And it's amazing. And so we end chapter six with God's people having completed the temple. But Ezra's real, because it doesn't just give us the end of chapter six. It gives us the journey. 
It gives us the insight into times when there'll be opposition and times when you have to stop the work for 20 years. Times when there's desert and seasons you plow through and plod through. But it gives us this little hint, this little gem, that if we hang out with the prophets, if we dwell with God's word, we will have courage to go through the desert and murky seasons we face. So how are we doing at dwelling with God's word? We were really blessed um, this weekend. We had a couple of meals with um, lovely Christians who are very prophetic. And um, we were very tired on both occasions. And yet the way they spoke and brought God into our room and into our lives refreshed us like more than I can really explain. Um, and even in the morning, when we'd, we'd have these people over on Friday night and we woke up on Saturday morning and the whole atmosphere of the house was beautiful until we stressed out. But it, it was like God's, God's presence was there because we dwelt with people who prophesied and spoke God's word into us. Find those people, hang out with them. It's worth us putting a little bit of our time aside to dwell in God's word. And there's many different ways we can do that, so many ways. So let's talk with each other. Let's find one or two people we can say, how's that going, and talk about it. Um, what resources have you used recently that work really well? And let's get into dwelling in God's word together. Amen.